All right, good to see you this morning. The church is Turkey Hills. You glad you're at church today? Say amen. All right, for those of you that didn't, maybe you'll feel better about it at the end. All right. And uh, let's show the worship team a, a hand clap of praise for leading us today. What beautiful stuff. And so we are in Acts chapter 2. That's where we're at. We're in an amazing book in the New Testament. you got the Gospels and you've got the Acts, which are the actions of the apostles. But in reality, it's not so much about the actions of the apostles. It's about the action of the Holy Spirit in the life of his followers. And, and what happens in Acts chapter 2 is significant all the way to this very day. I want you to understand that you are seated in a church today because of what happened 2,000 years ago at what's called the Feast of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit uh, came in his fullness on the early church. There's a brand new church. It has a charter membership of about 120 followers or disciples. It includes the apostles, uh, the family of Jesus, and then some others, 120 in all. And so that's what we're talking about. Now, here's why today's message, Acts chapter 2, is arguably one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible, because it helps us understand what a Christian life should look like when full or empowered in the dynamite power of the Holy Spirit. And we've talked about the last couple of weeks, a couple of messages on the Holy Spirit. You don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is God. God the Father is in heaven. Jesus, his son, is seated beside him. The Holy Spirit is God. He's right here with us. And so he's the part of God, the person of God, that, that, we, um, that we experience the most while on this earth, okay? Now, uh, how this all happened is incredible because in Acts chapter 2, you've got this early group of people just kind of coming through a very strange but a very unique and exciting season. So to bring us up to speed, here's what's happened. Uh, Jesus has lived on this earth for about 33 years. In the last three years of his life here on earth, he performed about 40 miracles. Ultimately, he proved that he was God incarnate or in the flesh. They nailed him to a cross and there he died. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving he, that he was God, and he held the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Now, he has revealed himself to literally thousands of people up to this point in his life, but at, at his crucifixion, he had very few followers. And so now that he's resurrected on the third day, he walked around on the earth for 40 days, revealing himself, Scripture says, with undeniable proof that he was resurrected, that he was the Messiah, that he was God in the flesh. And so he revealed himself to thousands of people, but at the end of those 40 days on earth, he had a small gathering of people who really believed who he was, about 120 in total. Now, at day 40, after he resurrected from the dead, he mounts a cloud and ascends to heaven. And there's the disciples, all 120 apparently, saw him float to heaven, fly to heaven, whatever, ascended. And there's two men standing there in white, and they said, why are you standing here looking around? <clears throat> uh, Jesus, just like he left, he's going to come back. And you have a job to do. Because Jesus had told these disciples, this 120 people group, he said, listen, you guys stay right here in Jerusalem because I've got to go and the Holy Spirit's going to come. So don't go anywhere. And so that kind of brings us up to speed. So they go back and they wait in Jerusalem. Jesus has ascended into heaven. He, did, he said it not many days. He didn't tell them how long. Ultimately now... Ten days will have passed, and these 120 believers, this early church, has been waiting for the Holy Spirit. On the tenth day after Jesus went back to heaven on a cloud, 
something crazy happens. The Holy Spirit shows up. And that's what happens in Acts chapter 1. And everything changes. And so these 120 people were, were meeting together and praying together and wondering what was next. The Holy Spirit shows up, and they all spoke in foreign languages. Now, what's important about that is this happens on the 50th day after the resurrection. 40 days walking around on earth, he ascends 10 more days, 50 days. That's how we get Pentecost. Pentecost is a feast uh, that's been celebrated, if you're a Jew, at this point for 1,400 years. It's not a new thing, but this one's special. This is the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost. And so the Holy Spirit shows up. And there's all, literally thousands and thousands of people who have come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Some of them are Jews. Some of them are just entrepreneurs. Entrepreneurs, there it is, easy for me to say. People who just want to capitalize on the masses of people who have come to Jerusalem for Pentecost. And then the Holy Spirit shows up and these 120 Yehus, this early church, they spoke in foreign languages. And the people who had come to Jerusalem from different places all over the world, they heard them testify about the deeds of God in their own languages and actually scripture says in their own dialect, their own slang. So God has set the stage to spread uh, the, the, the gospel message to the world. This day in history that we're reading about in Acts chapter 2 is the moment in time when God swung open the doors and said, hey, everybody can come to the party. You don't just, you, this is not for, just for Jews anymore. Before, in all the days past, you had to be Jew. You had to be born Jewish, bloodline Jewish, or you could be a proselyte Jew, kind of just adopted into the Jewish family and subscribe to what they believed. Now the doors are open. It's open for Jews and it's open for Gentiles. That's good news. News because most of y'all ain't Jews. I had a guy come to me in the early service. I'm gonna say it right. He said, Hey, you ask if there were any Jews in the in the church. And he said, I am Jewish a little bit. I'm not making this up. I said, uh, are you? He said, Yeah, three percent. How do you know that? I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know about it. I don't do that family tree stuff. But I said, Are you really? He said, Yeah, I'm of the uh, Ashkenazi tribe. <laughs> he don't know it. He's in the early service. He helps us on eleven B. It's Pete. Tomorrow, his new name for me, Ashkadazi. That's what I'm calling him, Ashkadazi. Now, when, but, but he's 3%. Probably, I don't know if anybody else in here has a little bit of percentage, but when you boil it all down, most of us are Gentilian. You know what I'm saying? We are not Jewish, okay? And this is good news, what happened in Acts chapter 2. You and I were invited into God's kingdom because the Holy Spirit showed up and God spread the gospel to the world. Amen. Now, that's really good news, and it should excite you more than what it just did. But anyway, I'll keep moving. Now, when the Holy Spirit came, we've talked about the last couple of weeks, why did he come? Well, he came to give gifts, and they spoke in languages. And that, No, I mean, they did that, but that's not why he came. Uh, Jesus told them why the Holy Spirit was coming. And the theme verse for Acts is found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, but you will receive power, and that's dunamis, dynamite power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. There it is. The title of the series for the book of Acts is called, Can I Get a Witness? Okay? If you're born again today, if you're a Christian, a child of God, adopted into his forever family, he saved you, and he gives you entrance into heaven one day. But between the moment you get saved and the moment you enter heaven, he's got a job for you to do. He wants you to be a witness. Look at your person next to you and say, you're supposed to be witnessing. 
and then just go, hmm, yeah. That's right. And we can all say that because we're not very good witnesses. Sometimes we do okay. We came to church this morning. Our neighbors may have seen us leave and go to church, and there's a little bit of witness in that. In your school, in your work, in your neighborhood, on your team, maybe people notice that you act a little bit different than the rest of the world, maybe. But when it comes right down to it, we're supposed to be vocal. We're supposed to be giving testimony of the greatness of God in our life. God is asking a simple question in the book of Acts, can I get a witness? And so it all hinges. Everything that we are, everything that we know about church hinges on this moment in time when the Holy Spirit of God invited this early church into the uncomfortable zone, into the world of unknowns, into this place they hadn't experienced before, into this place of letting go of themselves and grabbing hold of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know today that, that most of our Christian community in Western civilization rely way too much on self and not enough on the Holy Spirit. And that's why most of us leave, uh, live what would be considered a marginal or an apathetic Christian experience in our life. Oh, we've got a God that we can go to when we're in trouble. We've got a God that we can celebrate when good things happen. But the Holy Spirit of God wants to be intricately involved and engaged in every decision, every moment of our life. We're to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is supposed to be upon us, just leading us, guiding us, empowering us so that we can live in the fullness of everything that Jesus died on a cross to make us to be. And that's what we learn in this book. Now, what, what happens? How do we get from where we are to this new place? How, how do we go from marginal Christianity to just sold out, on fire, Jesus freak Christianity, which is what Jesus died on a cross for us to be. You know, back in the day, if you're old, there was a season, a, 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 ch- a church growth season, an awakening, and people that followed Jesus who were excited that were called Jesus freaks. The, the, the truth is, Jesus died on a cross so you would be a Jesus freak. So you would just be different from the world. And when people look at you, they think, that person is different than everybody else. Why? Because Jesus is in their life. And so that's what he wants for us. So how do we get to there? Here it is, here it is, here it is. You gotta have an awakening. That's the word we're gonna use, an awakening. A spiritual awakening. Now, maybe you're saved today and you've already given your heart and your life to Jesus and, and, and you're a Christian and, you, and you're confident that if, if Jesus came back today or if your life ended today, you'd be in heaven immediately because scripture says absent from the body, present with the Lord, you're going to heaven. Okay, and you're comfortable with that. You're confident in that. Well, great. Well, maybe you're not at all. Maybe you don't, you've never given your life to Jesus. It doesn't matter which camp or which category you fall in. You need an awakening, a fresh awakening. If you're lost, you need a fresh awakening to the greatness of the gospel of Jesus in your life. You receive that gospel. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and seals you and fills you and, and, and you're saved. That's an awakening. Maybe you've been like me, you've been saved for a long time, but you need a fresh awakening. You need a fresh glimpse of the reality of who it is that Jesus is in your life and what the Holy Spirit desires to accomplish through you while God lets you live on this great planet called earth. Sometimes people in the Christian community, they, they, they just 
chatter and clamor about the gifts of the Spirit. And they're like, oh, the gifts of the Spirit, the, the speaking in tongues and gifts of healings and gifts of miracles. That's what we really need to manifest. That's what really would change somebody's life. If somebody would hear me speak in tongues, they would know the Holy Spirit's on me. If somebody, if I could pray for somebody and they'd be healed, then they would come to Jesus and have an awakening with God. If, if, if I have this spiritual gift, then their life will become awakened. Then they'll, be, they'll, they'll know God. That's not true. That's not true at all. You see, miracles do not change. They may, mo- they may modify, but they don't radically change somebody's faith and somebody's belief system. How do I know this? Because Jesus walked on this earth <clears throat> and th- in three years of ministry performed 40 incredible, undeniable miracles. I mean, walking on water, that's kind of a biggie. You didn't do that. Turn the water into wine, biggie, instantly. You can't do that. Okay, give somebody who's blind sight, never walked, walk, can't hear, hear, cast out. I mean, he did them all. I mean, he, he was a rock star. He, he got the miracles down good. He's God, right? And yet, all these people followed him because of his miracles. But then when it came time for him to die on a cross, he's crucified on the cross. And his mother and a few disciples and a couple of friends are all that are there. You see, those miracles didn't radically change their world. So, so what causes an awakening in your life? What causes an awakening in my life? Are you ready? It's the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. It's why you need to read your Bible. <laughs> that sounds so uh, like awkward for the preacher to say, church, you need to read your Bible. And the truth is, you need to read your Bible, okay? If you own a Bible, say yes. If you have a phone with a Bible on it, say yes. Some of you didn't know. If you've got a phone, it's got a Bible on it. And let's accept Gene. Gene's on a flip phone, okay? He tapes his Bible to the side of his flip phone, and there he has a Bible on his phone, all right? Now, if you have a Bible and you do, you need to read your Bible. That sounds so elementary for me to say that. And, and you should. You should read it every day because God's word will change your life. It is, it is God's breath written on paper. The theonoustos, it'll change your life. You couple the word of God with the spirit of God that activates that word in your life and your life changes. It, 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 it gains power and victory and, 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 and it draws you closer to understanding more about the God who saved you, the God that we're called to serve. And so in today's passage, the Holy Spirit enters the equation and God has orchestrated this thing really cool, just like only he could do it. You see, this thing called Feast of Pentecost is not new. It's been going on for four, literally 1,400 years Jews have been coming to the temple celebrating uh, feast number two after Passover. Fifty days later, they have the feast of Pentecost. But this one was different. You see, God invited the whole world to the community called Jerusalem so that the Holy Spirit could come and this early, uh, this early church plant of 120 people could speak in these foreign languages and then somebody would share the gospel so that, so that they could be saved and then that they could take the message to their part of the world. It's really an incredible story. So it's the launch party of the church and the gospel going to the nations. And so somebody is going to step up and be the spokesperson, right? 
because every group needs a spokesperson. And one of the parts that I love the most about this incredible passage, this incredible story, historical uh, activity or narrative in time, is that the one that God would use to, to be the spokesperson for this incredible move is what could be considered arguably the least qualified candidate. And that's good news. It's good news for me. And it's good news for you because I want you to know something. God wants to use you because he formed and fashioned and created you with a purpose. He, he, he doesn't want to use you because of your, your credentials. He wants to use you because you're willing to surrender to Jesus and, and you're willing to fall under the power of the Holy Spirit for him to use you. That's it. That's good news because I know some of y'all. And it's good news for me because I know me and you know, and you know me. And, and, and so God wants to use us and deploy us in his kingdom agenda. So when we look at the candidate, it's a guy named Peter. Peter, of all people. Okay, Peter's the guy who's, who Jesus comes walking on the water. And Peter says, if that's you, Lord, invite me to come out. And he jumped in the water, started walking, and he sank. Now, he gets a bad rap right here because he sank. Meanwhile, his buddies never even got out of the boat. So he's, he's still one step ahead of them, okay? And, but, but he still, he failed. This is a guy who said, Jesus, I will go with you to the ends of the earth. I will, I will, I will, I will die for you. And Jesus said, yeah, whatever, okay? This is the same guy who denies him and finds himself shameful when he's even asked if he knows Jesus at the crucifixion. And so here's a guy who, um, who just fails and fails and fails, and he's going to be the first Christian preacher in the New Testament, okay? That's our guy. Now, that's good news because if you've got failure in your life, would you raise your hand? Okay, good. That's a, that's a, good, good, it's a good place to begin just to own that, okay? We all have failure in our life. We're all on an equal playing field here. We just mess stuff up. Okay, sometimes it seems like it's, it's one step forward and two steps back. And so when we read the life of Peter, we listen to the words of Peter, we, we, we encounter the experiences and the actions of Peter, it reminds me of somebody. I look at him every morning when I brush my teeth, okay? It reminds me of me. And if you're real and if you're honest, the life of Peter should remind you of you, that you fail all the time. You disappoint the Lord all the time. You try, you do good, you read your Bible, you pray, and then you do that, okay? You tell somebody about Jesus, you go to church, you're doing good as a father, as a mother, as a Christian, and then you get in your car and you lose your witness, okay? I mean, it, all of us have that in our life. And so that's why I love grace so much. Because no matter how great the failure, there's grace sufficient to overcome it. I want you to know that. I'm, I need to say this this morning. I don't know what failure you have in your life. I don't know how long it's been since you had a major failure. You may have had a failure just last night or last week. I want you to know the grace of Jesus Christ is sufficient to overcome your failure. The desire of Jesus to grace you in your failure is greater than you can possibly know. If Jesus, if you were the only, if yours was the only sin, Jesus would die on a cross today to forgive you and to grace you from that situation. So that's what that's it looks like the life of Peter, and it should encourage us that 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 God wants to use us for something greater in the future, no matter, regardless of our failures in the past. Now, Peter's going to be a preacher today. He's never been a preacher before. He's a fisherman. Okay, 
He's a, he's, a, he, he's a spokesman for the group, if, if you read the Gospels. But on this day, <clears throat> he becomes a preacher. Now, preaching is not new to Peter. Preaching has been around for a long time. If you read the Old Testament, you see the prophets, they preached. You listen to the leaders, the kings, they preached. Okay, preaching is not old. And even in the Gospels, the experiences that Peter would have had, he knew of preachers. John the Baptist was a good example. John the Baptist preached the message of repentance in the wilderness. Jesus preached. There's six or eight biblical accounts of Jesus. Matthew 4.17, Jesus preached repentance. Matthew 4.23, Jesus preached the gospel. Luke 8.1, Jesus preached the good news. Mark 1. I need to preach because that is what I came to do. Luke 4.43, Jesus said, I preach because that is my purpose. But when we think about John the Baptist and we think about Jesus, we think, well, sure, they should preach. I mean, if you know your Bible, you know that Scripture says John the Baptist was the forerunner of Jesus, and it says that the Holy Spirit was in him while he was still in his mother's womb. Jesus said, of all the men born among women, John the Baptist is the best. Well, that guy ought to preach, amen. Full of the Holy Spirit since before you got born, and Jesus says, you're the best man ever born of a woman. You better preach, right? And then, of course, you got Jesus. John in his gospel says this about Jesus. He says, uh, we, in the beginning was the Word, and he says the Word became flesh, and, we, we, and he dwelt among us, and we beheld the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Jesus is the Word of God with skin on. Yeah, he ought to preach. But what about you? What about me? What about Peter? We all should preach. It doesn't mean it's our vocation necessarily. It doesn't mean it's a particular calling just to preach, but all of us, preaching is to proclaim the message of truth. And all of us, if you're saved, you have the message of truth living in you. It's why you are a child of God. If the message of truth, which is the gospel of Jesus, does not live within you, you are not a child of God. Jesus says you are a child of the devil. That's pretty hard, isn't it? There's only two camps. There's no in, in, the, in between. There's no fence straddling from God's vantage point. There's children of his born into his family, reborn, born again, however you want to call it, spiritually born into the family of God through Jesus and the children of the devil, those that have never, in, never encountered or received the grace message of Jesus. Now, Peter is going to stand on this day, and he's going to be a preacher. And that's what, how we're going to begin understanding and unpacking this awakening that radically shook the world. And it's still shaking the world today. I, I need to drive that point home. We're here because of what we're studying about from 2,000 years ago. We're doing the, much of the same things that this church, this little baby church, this church plant of 120, what they did 2,000 years ago, we do much of the same things, and lives are changed for eternity. Number one on the back of your life guide, under the title, The Awakening, is point number one, the messenger for the awakening. What's the messenger? Well, we've talked about him a little bit, but let's dive into it a little bit more. Acts chapter 2, verse 14, it says, But Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed them. So Peter, the same guy who has failed, he's the guy. But I need to say something here. He's with the other disciples. Now, a, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about when 
Judas Iscariot had hung himself, and then the rope broke, and he fell, and his guts gushed out on the road, which is kind of what it says. They, they had to... Um, get another disciple, another disciple, another apostle. And, and so they voted, and how they voted was they, they rolled dice on the two that they had narrowed it down to. And some people, I don't know if my, uh, Matthias was really the guy. Well, right here, the Holy Spirit inspires Scripture to say Peter stands up with the 11. So the Holy Spirit accepts the fact that Matthias is this, this replacement disciple. And so it goes on, and it says, and he spoke, he stood, and he spoke. Now, hold on. This is how quickly... A life can change. 53 days ago from this moment in Peter's life, 53 days before, not even two months, let's look at Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 60, Jesus is being crucified, and it says, Peter said, because they've asked him now for the third time, don't you know the guy that we're crucifying? Aren't you one of his followers? Haven't you been hanging out with him? And this is what Peter says, well, Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. It says, at that moment, while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. I don't think Jesus looked at Peter like this is a shocker. I don't think he looked at Peter like this is the end of the game. I don't even think he looked at Peter in judgment. I think he looked at Peter as if to say, this is supposed to be, and it's not over yet. And I want you to know today, we need to live every day of our life as if every decision we make and everything we say is being watched by the king of the world, Jesus Christ. You know why? <laughs> because it is. Because he watches everything we do. He knows everything we do. And imagine how many looks we would get. I remember when I was growing up, I have three brothers, and, and, and as we got a little older, we would sit, uh, not like you guys, y'all are awesome, you sitting in the front, you sat in the back, you know, passing notes and poking each other. It was not a good plan. This is a good plan, okay? Proud of you all. So we would sit in the back, and if we got tickled or something and started laughing, my dad, who sat about the fourth row from the front, he would look over his shoulder and he'd point. He had great big hands and he'd point. You know, that was one. And if we did, if we did anything else, that, that point would turn to this. And we'd go, I hit that. And we knew. And we had to do the walk of shame. The walk of shame was to leave your little group, your posse in the back, and go up there and sit with your dad, third row. And then he would put his arm around you, and he would give you the Spock pinch on the back of the neck and paralyze your legs, okay? Now, he knew what was going on as if he had eyes in the back of his head. And you know what? That look, I still remember this. My dad died two, two years ago. I remember that look. It was, a, it was a loving look, but it was a serious look. And Jesus is watching. Just imagine for a second. You've just denied Christ at his crucifixion for the third time. And the rooster crows. And Jesus, he's over there. He's just bleeding all over profusely. He's, he's in the process of, of his life ending. And, and he just looks at you like, ah, I was hoping for more. <laughs> you know. How many times do you think Jesus looks at your life and says, yeah, yeah, I saved him. He and the Father are having a conversation, and God says to Jesus, the Son, he says, have you watched so-and-so? Yeah, I called him up yesterday on the big screen. And uh, 
what do you think? Ah, he's, he's coming along. She's coming along. We're going to grace them again. But it's not what I'd hoped for just yet. I want you to know that's real. None of us are everything that God intends for us to be yet. But every day he's gracious. And every day his Holy Spirit invites us into a new place, into a place where we can be, become more of who he wants us to be. And I'm excited about that in my life. And I'm excited about that in the life of this church. I want you to know that I want to help you understand that, that no, regardless of your failures, Jesus wants to grace you and wants to invite you to another place. And it's a, he wants you to have an awakening, a fresh awakening of his love for you and his desire to, to accomplish things through the church in your life. That's just incredible to me that God does that. And, and it's so real and his desire is so great. And that is what grace looks like. And, and, and if you ever wonder how good grace can be from Jesus in your life, administer grace into somebody else's life through your life. Administer grace to a family member that disappoints you. Administer grace to, uh, to the person who lives in your neighborhood who lets their dog use the bathroom in your yard. You know what I'm saying? Don't pick it up and throw it in their yard. I mean, I did, but don't do that, okay? Um, administer grace when you're on the highway. Kendra and I last night on a whim decided, hey, let's go up to Pigeon Forge and eat dinner. Does anybody know what this weekend is in Pigeon Forge? It's the worst. It's the weekend from hell. It's Rod Run weekend. Every yahoo who has big tires and shiny wheels shows up up there and us, Okay? You talk about needing some grace, okay? I, I had to, Holy Spirit had to be with me. You know, to make sure it happened, I'd put my, my message, this message notes on my phone. I'm reading my message while I'm sitting in the car, literally sitting in park, okay? This world needs grace. And when you administer grace, it reminds you of the sweetness of grace in your life from Jesus. And it'll change the world around you, just like the grace of Jesus has changed your world. Now, Peter was at a place that he had a fresh awakening, but it's not the first time that he's beginning to realize who Jesus is. And, 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 and in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was asking his disciples, he said, who do you say that I am? And Simon, which is Peter ultimately, answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He got it. He just had a glimpse, a, 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 just a small awakening of who Jesus really was. And Jesus said to him, you are blessed, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. He changed his name from Simon to Peter. And he said, and on this rock, not the rock that he's Peter, but on the rock that he understands Jesus is the Messiah, he says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Jesus gave Peter a new name, Simon a new name. And this is so cool because if we look at the life of Peter and we're going to give him a name, it would be like jellyfish because he's spineless. It would be like chicken because when the going gets tough, he gets gone, you know, but not Jesus. Listen to me. Jesus looked at his broken life, at his pitiful, spineless faith, and he says, I'm going to call you the rock. 
Why? This is so good. Because Jesus doesn't see the you that you see you to be. Jesus sees you as the person you could be. That is so good. That makes the hair on my arm stand up. Because he sees the person you don't even know yet. He sees the you that is surrendered fully to Jesus as Savior and surrendered, surrendered to the Holy Spirit in your life, empowering you to make him the Lord of your life. He sees you like that before you ever get there. That is so cool. That is just amazing. Now, Peter doesn't get there for a long he He's not even close. But he's got the name, right? Sometimes we have to grow into our name, the name that Jesus gives us. We got to grow into it. We got to crawl, and then we're going to get up on our knees, and then we're going to walk, and then we're going to run, and we get into our name, and we live according to the to the name that Jesus has given us before we ever saw what that looked like. So in Acts chapter 2, Peter grows into his name because he, now he understands grace. You see, Peter was like many of us. One of the greatest problems in Western civilization church is that we like to think we're pretty good people. In fact, most of the people that you ask, if you go door to door and say, hey, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Oh, yeah. Are you a Christian? Oh, yeah. Are you confident that if you died then, that you'd go to heaven today? Oh, yeah. Well, tell me why. And they don't talk about Jesus. They talk about their own self. They say, well, I go to church regular and I give tithe and uh, I help my neighbor and I've done this. That's fine. But that doesn't save anybody. If you could be good enough and do enough good deeds to save you, God could have spared himself and his son a whole lot of trouble of dying on a cross. But the truth of the matter is there's not a human being on the planet short of Jesus who can do anything righteous to help their sinful condition. That's why Jesus came to do it for us. And so I want you to understand today that Peter had to get, have an awakening. And that awakening begins when we just wake up one day and we're like, oh, shoot, I am a total disaster. I am a total sin bag. I, that's what I am, and I get it now. You see, Jesus had taught this lesson in Luke 7 to his disciples. He, he, he told them this story. He says, hey, a certain creditor had two debtors, and one owed 500 silver coins and the other 50 coins. And when they could neither pay, he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more, Jesus said. Now, Simon Peter answered. He says, well, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. You see, he got the answer right to the quiz, but he didn't understand that it was talking about him. And now, in Acts chapter 2, after totally failing in every area in his belief of Jesus, after all of that failure, he realized that little story he told, those debts that were being forgiven, I didn't realize. I thought I was the 50 guy. I was the 500 guy. I was the one who have to love him more because I realize now how sinful I am. It's, it's one reason that I like working 11B on Monday night. You go down to 11B on those, those people are a wreck. It's, they have no hope. 
for the most part. <clears throat> Some of them are, are consumed by addiction. Some of them just their, their psychological or mental capacity just doesn't allow them to really get free from that. And it would be real easy to go down there and drive through the homeless community and they're laying on the side of the road literally every week, a hose around their arm and a syringe stuck in a vein. Or they're over there cooking something up. Or they come through the line high on heroin so high they can't even open their eyes. And it would be easy to stand there in that line and think, Lord, I am so good. Look at this train wreck. When in reality, if Jesus is on the other side of the line and I'm coming through the line, Jesus looks at me and he sees the train wreck of who I am because of my sin. We, don't, we miss that. We need a fresh awakening to our sinful condition and our lack of desire for the holiness of God. Rather than just going through day by day by day living like we want to and, and accepting things and tolerating sinful things in our life, I'll give you an example of one that's really on me hard, television. Television now is about 98% garbage, okay? I don't watch I don't watch any of the regular TV on cable, 125 channels of absolute nothingness, okay? I don't watch that. In fact, I've, I've got to do what Chase described at his house. I've got to find a few things and get rid, of the, get rid of the cable and just watch a few things that I pay for. But even among the things I pay for, I'll give you an example. Anybody got Netflix in here? Some of y'all afraid to, afraid to raise your hand. Think I'm going to say, you're going to hell if you got Netflix, okay? No, you're not. I mean, you could, but that doesn't mean you are. I have Netflix in my house. And Kendra and I, we like watching movies. We've always, we've always gone to the movies. We go to the movies. We like movies. Okay? It's just something we do. And, and I'll be on Netflix. I'll have Netflix. Kendra say, find us a good movie, and I'll laugh. I said, I'm going to find a dozen, and you're going to pick which one you want to watch. Because <clears throat> about, literally, about eight out of ten movies that we start, they last about three minutes, and then there's profanity in there so thick, we just look at each other and say, seriously? They got to put that in there? You know? I don't watch major networks because they got the news on there. That's about like watching those movies on Netflix. It's just full of garbage too. And, and so it's one of those things that the Holy Spirit has just convicted me of. You don't need to listen to all that junk. And, and I'm, <clears throat> I remember when I was fresh in my really hungry journey for Jesus in the 80s and, and in the 90s. And we had two little girls, Caitlin and Kelsey. And I watched TBN. Trinity Broadcast. Now, I know it was hokey back in the day, okay? I know there was some goofy stuff on there, but, but it was, I, I loved it. And I remember the girl said, Dad, are you watching the Jesus Channel again? That's what they called it. And, and I said, yeah, I'm watching the Jesus Channel. And, and I'm just saying this because there's things in all of our life that we permit, we allow, we excuse, we cover up that are not holy, and they're not pleasing to God. And we need to get a fresh awakening of our sinful condition. We need to realize who we are. And so Peter knew who Jesus was. You'll remember the story where he had fished all night, didn't catch anything. Jesus is preaching on the shore. Peter pulls his empty boat up to the shore with his fishing team. And, and Jesus jumps up in his boat. And he said, hey, uh, he tells the people that are listening to his teaching, he says, I've got to go out and fish. And he says, Peter, take us out in the deep. Peter said, we didn't catch any fish all night. He said, just take us out there. And he said, drop your nets. We didn't catch any fish, but because you've asked, I'll do it. They dropped their nets. It's one of the miracles of Jesus. And the nets were so full of fish that they began to burst, and the boats began to sink. Now, there's an incredible line right here about an awareness, an awakening in the life of Peter. 
This was long before Acts, okay, years, a couple of years before Acts. And, and, and this is where we need to be. All of a sudden, Peter looks around, and he's, these fish are everywhere. And it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 8, when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' at Jesus's knees saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And I venture to say, it's been a long, long time that anybody in here, if a few, not many, have had an awakening where you felt compelled to fall on your knees and say, Lord, I just had an awakening to the reality that I am so sinful. There's stuff in my life that I know it is not holy. I know it is not godly. I know it is not good for me, and I have allowed it to creep into my life. Have y'all done that lately? I hadn't done it lately until this week. I have an awakening that God wants more from my life and from our lives as a church. And we have to be awakened first, awakened to the reality of our own sinful condition. Because one day we do stand before Jesus and we give an account for our life. And so it is on this day 2,000 years ago at the Feast of Pentecost that this guy shows up. His name is Peter. And he preached a message with a bold, with a boldness and with a spine of steel. He stood among thousands with no PA system and he shouted this message, right? It's incredible. It's an incredible story. So what's so of course he did? He walked with Jesus. He's still a human being just like you. You say, well, how's that such a big deal? When is the last time in your circle of influence, in your group, in your encounter, that you stood boldly with a spine of steel and proclaimed the message of God? You still suffer from something that much of the world still puts in the top ten of the phobia list. It's called glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. So is that a real deal, fear of public speaking? It is for me. I remember... The first sermon I ever preached. Now, not the fake one in middle school where I made up Bible stories and took up an offering, the ones I should have got struck by lightning for. Not those. That's the grace of God. In 1986, Kendra had an uncle who was a pastor. His name's Donnie. And, and there was a bunch of young guys, friends of mine, who, who were just studying the Bible. We, weren't call, we hadn't really announced our call to preach. And he said, hey, you guys, I think you all may be supposed to be preachers. I want to schedule a revival and have a bunch of young guys come and preach. And he asked, I was scared when he asked. And I preached, listen, you know what I preached on the first sermon I ever preached officially? Are you ready? Revelation in 1 Thessalonians. The second coming of Jesus and the churches of Asia Minor. What an idiot. I mean, let's start with something a little easier, okay? I jumped in with both feet. I was nervous as I, was nervous as I could be. And I've preached in thousands, over a thousand messages. And I can tell you for the first 500, every time, I, I'm not making this up. Every 500, the first 500, every time I preached, I had diarrhea. I believed if I didn't have diarrhea, the Holy Spirit wasn't doing the work in me. I mean, it works on different people different ways. I'm just talking about me. Now, I finally got past that, okay, finally got past that. But still, I, I sit right in there and worship, and I get a little antsy, a little anxious, a little nervous. Why? Because I'm scared of y'all? Well, some of you. You ought to see what I see, some of y'all's faces. Scary, weeping and gnashing of teeth, okay? 
I, I, I get a little nervous, a little anxious. Am I anxious and nervous because I hadn't prepared well? <laughs> the Lord knows I've prepared all for weeks. He knows that. He knows how hard I study, how hard I try. I'm nervous because I'm going to be talking about God. I'm going to be talking about his word. I'm going to be talking to people who are on different places in your spiritual journey with Jesus. I'm talking in the face of the enemy who hates that I even talk about it, that I'm a preacher. He hates that you're even here. Okay, I, I, that's what, that was what we face, and so it's real. And, and sometimes people say, oh, you just stick close to the Word and pray the Holy Spirit will empower you, and you'll do just fine. <laughs> so says somebody who's never preached a sermon in their life. Okay, it's a really big deal. And on this day, Peter stood and he preached with everything that's in him a message that would change the world and fling the doors open to God's kingdom for all of the world. So cool. Now, we understand the messenger a little bit more real quickly. I want you to look at the matrix for the awakening. You say, the matrix, what's that? Oh, yeah, that's that movie with Keno Reeves. No, that's a whole different kind of matrix. Okay, <clears throat> the matrix by definition is the material in which something develops, a surrounding medium or structure uh, for the message, okay? And so the matrix is found in, in, in it as he begins his message. The matrix, let me just cut to it. The matrix for preaching a message from God has to be built on this book, on the Word of God. There's churches around the world today who do not even use the Bible. They do TED Talks or whatever they're called, but they don't preach the Bible, and so, so the, the message, the matrix has to be built on Scripture. Now, keep in mind what Peter's going to do. What Scripture does he have as a resource? He's only got the Old Testament. He's in the process of writing the New Testament, but it's not here yet. And so he's going to go to where these people have been. He, he, he's going to give them something they would understand, and he goes to the book of Joel, one of my favorite prophets. I'm not going to tell you why. But in in Joel chapter 2, verse 15, he says, you men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem. He says, I don't care if you live here or if you're visiting because of the Feast of Pentecost. He says, know this and listen carefully to what I say. I mean, he knows with certainty now what he's getting ready to share with them. He goes on, he says, in spite of what you think, these men are not drunk. He says, for it is only 9 o'clock in the morning. He says, I'm speaking to Jewish people. You know that Jews don't even drink wine. With, in the morning, they drink it with meat in the evening. You know that's foolishness. And, and, and you're calling him, them drunk because you're trying to come up with an explanation. And so he, he uh, rebukes them for that. And then he goes on and he says, but this, this is not, this not, we're not talking about sin or immorality. We're talking about the movement, the handiwork, the fingerprints of God. He says in verse 16, this is what was spoken about through the prophet Joel. Chapter 20, verse 28 through 32. He says, it's 180% different than what you think. This is God trying to do something in your life. And church, 2,000 years later, I want you to know God is still actively pursuing you. Desiring more from you than you've ever experienced from him. Inviting you in closer so that this Christianity thing that you have subscribed to becomes more than a religion. It becomes a vibrant relationship with the true and living God through Jesus, his son, empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And so Peter would quote some prophecy. And this is what he says. Verse 17, he says, and in the last days it will be, God says that I will pour out my spirit on all people. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. 
And your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Peter is referring to a prophecy that the Jews understood would usher in the Messiah. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would come to conquer, to rule, and to reign. They missed the memo. They missed this, this, this pause that Jesus would come once to save, and then he would come a second time to rule and reign. And so Joel is talking about a season called the season of the last days. The last days began when Jesus came the first time. The last days will end when Jesus returns the second time. And so in the first three verses right here, or excuse me, in the first two verses, 17 and 18, he's talking about what happened to usher in the last days. The Holy Spirit came and people spoke in languages and people had dreams and visions. But now listen to the end. He said, now I'm going to give you the rest of the story. What is going to usher out the last days? What's going to usher out the last part of this season of last days? He says in verse 19, and then I will perform wonders in the sky above and miraculous signs on the earth below and blood and fire and clouds and smoke and the sun will be changed to darkness and the moon will to, uh, to blood and before the great and glorious day the Lord comes and then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved and so Peter says listen this you need to know we are in the last days he told them that 2,000 years ago well Peter missed it didn't he you better believe he did not Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter had a fresh awakening. People were, pe Peter was telling the first people who heard the first Christian sermon that we are in the last days, and I stand here to tell you we're still in them. And I want you to know that there's an end to the last days. And the end of the last days happens when Jesus comes back. And I want to tell you something as certain, I believe as certainly as I'm standing here in this place on this day, Jesus Christ came the first time, just like prophecy said. Jesus said he's coming back. And let me tell you something, he's coming back. His return is imminent. There's no prophecy required to be filled. He could come in this very second. He could come back. He's just waiting. Why is he waiting? Why has he waited? Why are the last days already 2,000 years broad? Scripture tells us. Scripture tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow concerning his promise. What promise? To return. He goes on, he says, this, as some would regard slowness, but he is being patient towards you because he does not wish for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Amen. You know what? There may be somebody in here today you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You need to be thankful that we have a patient God. He may be patiently waiting for you. You might be the one that he's been waiting on before Jesus returns. I just think about that sometimes. Who's the last person that gets saved? And God says, Jesus, that was the last one. Patience is over. Go get him. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know who it'll be. But I know this, there will be one. And I know in that moment, Jesus will return for his church. I, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about heaven. I like, I like the thought of heaven, okay? And you should be excited about heaven if you're a Christian. So here's what we do now. 
You need an awakening. I needed an awakening. Awakening. We need a fresh awakening every day. All right, hold on. Worship team, y'all can come on out. 50 years ago, I was, I was just a little boy. I didn't know anything. I still don't know much. And I sat in a church like this for a week. My parents were good, godly parents. And they took me and my brother's place where I would hear the gospel every night in a revival. And, and I didn't understand anything he was talking about, but I knew I was lost. And every night he'd say, if you died tonight, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And I'd be sitting there, why did he say that to me? He was just saying it, but the Holy Spirit was saying it to me. And I was just a little boy, and on the last night of that revival, I was sitting about two-thirds back, and I was white-knuckling that pew. And I let go, and I walked down that altar, and I told that preacher 50 years ago, I said, I don't really understand what you're saying, but I believe I'm lost. And if I died tonight, I wouldn't go to heaven. And he said, I can pray with you, and you can ask Jesus into your life. And on that night in that revival, I I was born again. And the Holy Spirit sealed me, and he entered my life. And just like Peter, I had failure after failure after failure. And with every ounce of failure, God covered it with a pound of grace. And he just kept inviting me back to that place, back to that place. And there's people in here right now that you're, you know of all the failure between the moment you were born again and this very day. And God is saying, I want you back. Let's go back. Let's have an awakening. That moment when you knew who you were before God and you felt how much God loved you and you knew God was inviting you into his forever family and now you've kind of drifted so far away. I, I, know, I get that. I've been there. I, I, I go there every week. We need a fresh awakening. So here in just a minute, we're going to sing this song. And I want you to listen to the words of this song. Because it'll, it'll minister to you to help you understand the greatness of the gift of salvation. And this altar's open. And there's pads up here. You can kneel on this floor up here before God and drive a stake in it. Sometimes we make a, a decision in our heart, God, I'm sorry for my sin. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's legitimate. But there's something that happens when you, when you move from the normal, when you move from the comfortable into the uncomfortable zone that says, you know what, to self, I'm going to change something. You know what, God, I'm serious. I'm stepping out of my comfort zone. You know what, hell and the devil, I'm not listening to you anymore. I'm, dry, I, I'm making a statement today. There's something that happens in that more than just in the quietness and the comfortableness of our heart but I want you to know more importantly than anything if you're here today and you do not have a relationship with God you've never been born again you've never received Jesus's grace gift in your life there's nothing else on this planet right now nothing on the planet that matters more than where you are with God and if you're lost today and separated from God listen to the Holy Spirit Simply respond to the Holy Spirit. God, I I get it. I know now I'm a sinful person, and you love me anyway, enough to die for me. I want Jesus to come into my life. I don't understand it all, but I know this. Jesus is my hope, and he wants to save me, and I'll take it in this moment. And then for the rest of us, 
Let's just ask for a fresh awakening. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you so much for your word of truth. Thank you for the life of Peter. Thank you, God, for what you do in our life. We thank you for grace that you just keep gracing us, drawing us, inviting us back to that place. I pray that this would be a day for somebody that they would have a fresh awakening for the very first time. They would receive Jesus into their life for salvation, not for relationship, but for a re- not for religion, but for a relationship with the Almighty, with you. I pray for the rest of us, God, that our awakening would just stir our soul and your spirit would rise up and we would grow in our boldness. Why? So we could testify of the good news of Jesus to the world who is literally dying for somebody to share the message of hope in Jesus with them. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. We hope that God spoke to you through this message. If you enjoyed the message, be sure to subscribe to our weekly podcast and visit our website at sturkey.church to find all the latest information and upcoming events. Be sure to join us again next week. Until then, may God bless you.